0: I was pretty interesting yesterday when I drained a fifteen foot putt to win a match. <laughs> How are you going to bring this
1: up? That's all he right. talked about yesterday was this putty made, right? And that's now in the rain. Day two, just day nails, two. boom. Day two wins the this, match of this uh, okay. story. I'm
0: bring that up the rest of my life.
1: Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, a man who believes in his heart of hearts that Tua Tunga-Vailoa is the most accurate quarterback in NFL history, my brother Mike. (laughs) If you needed any
0: evidence to show that these openings are complete fabrications of Mark's imagination, here you go, right here. 100% factual. I have no belief in him as even a a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, Um, and so no, that's not, that's not accurate I think Tua is a, an average to slightly above
1: average quarterback. If you care about my NFL takes, <laughs> you know, I think I, coming out of Alabama, I was like, I don't know why people are in love with this guy. I don't know what they're seeing that I'm not seeing. He throws the ball about 10 yards and then it dies. You know, I, I don't, I just, I don't see it. And yet for some reason, Miami was like, eh, we want to take him in the top. What was the top five? Pick he was for the. I don't play? know yeah. what they
0: were seeing was him throwing to the best receivers I know. in the world uh, behind the behind greatest the offensive, offensive line and the, the world. greatest
1: defense. It's like okay, uh, yeah, I guess he's a he's a winner. You know, he's a winner. Um, anyway, let's move on to the baseball. We're paid for our baseball takes, not our, not our football takes, which are probably better than our baseball takes. And we're not paid. Yeah, we picked all anyway. a
0: bad day. Cause they did, they did beat the crap
1: out of a bad new England team today. <laughs> so yeah. bad new England team. If anybody watched that game, I'm sorry for you. Um, on this week's episode, we'll discuss a disappointing week from the Royals in Royals baseball, uh, impending coaching changes. I'm interested to have that conversation. Cause really been waiting so long for this coaching change of this pitching regime. And it looks like maybe it's starting to happen. And then we'll also preview next week's games, which will be among the last weeks. I thought next week was like the next to last week for the games, but no, they go all the way into October this year. And so they will, the Royals will be playing October baseball, right? It'll just be the end of the regular season. <laughs> It'll um, just be
0: meaningless October baseball.
1: Yeah. We got a, I'm not going to call it a review. We got like a comment on YouTube that I wanted to share because it was so positive Sweet. Um, from a, from a, a weekly weirdo named Jacob Harris. Uh, it's a, he said, one of the best podcasts I've heard about the Royals, definitely subscribed. So he's gone ahead and subscribed to our YouTube channel, which you should as well, because we've been uh, slow, slowly putting out some, uh, some additional content on our YouTube channel. kind of taking a break from that right now because school started back up for Mike and back up for me, and we're getting into football coaching and stuff like that. But eventually, we will start putting out even more video-only content, stuff that's just interesting video projects and packages that we're interested in. Sometimes they're funny and snarky. Sometimes they're informative. But uh, they're a lot of fun, and so please subscribe to that YouTube channel. You can watch the podcast on there if you'd like. Uh, also, subscribe to any of the po- podcast apps we do, or subscribe to this podcast on any of the apps. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all those different ones. We would love for you to get our stuff every single week automatically. We'll start last, week, last week's review with roster news from last week. We got a couple important players back. Zach Granke was back off the injured list, which was great to see. He pitched well in his one outing this week. Six innings pitched. One earned run. Most importantly, Vinny Pasquantino is back from his injured list stint. Great to see him. He gets about three weeks left of the season to get back in a groove before he's got to shut it down for the offseason. But hopefully that just helps him learn more and more about Major League Pitching. It was great to see Vinny Pasquantino back. Great to see him not hurt. And good to know that it's not a long-term injury that he's got. Uh, In order to make room for Zach Greinke, uh, the Royals optioned Matt Castillo back to AAA. I keep say I can't say his name. Max Castillo Max, Max Castillo I think last week I called him like Max Castillo or something like that It is Max <laughs> Castillo His
0: Mel Max. Calypso Mel we'll Calypso in, uh...
1: <laughs> <laughs> No it is back Max Back in A for old Mitch <laughs> For the old For the old Omaha Storm Dumpers Or something uh, Anyway, <laughs> No it is Max Castillo And he was optioned to AAA After pitching fairly well in the majors at times So it was good to see him a little bit He'll get a chance to sort of make the rotation, I think, out of spring trading next year. But for now, he's down in AAA helping the Omaha Storm Dumpers. The Royals went two and four. There wasn't a ton of roster news this week, so that's basically all of it. That's all the real important stuff. Uh, the Royals went two and four this week on the field. That brings their overall record to fifty-seven and eighty-four. I think it was a disappointing week this week. I think the really disappointing aspect was you expect the Royals to get at least two of three from Detroit, and they lost that series. You kind of expect them not to do great against the Guardians. They lost two of three to them. Whatever, Cleveland's leading the division, I think, still. Yes, they are leading the division uh, with the White Sox right behind them. But to lose two of three to a bad, bad, bad Detroit team, a team that has basically said, oh, no, our rebuild isn't working. Fire everybody and maybe trade some guys. I don't know. To lose two of three to them is a little rough. And you saw some rough outings for young starting pitchers. And you just get the sense like, "Ugh, has any progress been made? It doesn't feel a ton like it like it did this week anyway.
0: Yeah, and the, the, exactly what you're talking about. The progress is what you want to see late in the year. It's not all that surprising in that young pitchers sometimes struggle down the stretch because they're just not used to throwing this many innings. They're not used to pitching this late into the year. And so I'm not super, super surprised. But these are guys that we haven't seen consistency from since they've been in the majors. So it's kind of tough. I actually expect John Heasley to be a little bit more consistent than what he was this week uh, in the long term. But Daniel Lynch, you know, he's been up. He's been down. I mean,
1: he certainly looks like he has the ability, but we have yet to see him do it consistently. Yeah, there were some people who did it consistently this week, at least. Mike, tell us who you liked to watch this week. Who was your strong performer of the week? Well, my strong performer and the guy I like to watch is a guy we like,
0: we've been liking to watch for years now.
1: Ten Old years Salvador
0: Perez. Yeah, he's been he's been with the club for a long time. Um, yeah, I guess it will be ten years next year, won't it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, Salvador Perez was eight for twenty-one. He had a double, four RBI, a home run, no walks, but that's not surprising. To three <laughs> strikeouts, so he had a solid week this week. Uh, like a three eighty batting average, I think so, and an OPS over nine hundred. So uh, Salvador Perez, another solid offensive week this year has been marred by several different injury list stints that kind of never a slow start. And then injury list stints that never would get him to the numbers that we're accustomed to him having offensively. But I'm just hoping that he stays healthy getting into next year and we can see another, another strong whole year from Salvador Perez.
1: Yeah. So just keep keeping our fingers crossed that maybe he, that he's fine for the rest of the year. Wouldn't even hate it if they sat him a little bit more, you know, so that he could, you know, I, Here at I just the end, I, that would Yeah, be great. I'm just trying to avoid injury for him. That's the only thing I really care about at this point for him because you know that when he's in there, you basically know what he's going to give you offensively. It's not going to be, it's something that always will fall short from maybe where a ceiling would have been if he'd ever learned an approach at the plate or how to lay any, any sort of plate discipline. Uh, but it's a ton of power. You know, it's the ability to put the bat on the ball fairly well uh, when, you know, when he's swinging at the right pitches. And so, yeah, just hoping he stays healthy. My guy for strong performance this week is Dylan Coleman, and this is kind of a cumulative award for me. He had a strong week, but he's a reliever, so it's hard to say like, well, strong week, he only pitched two innings, you know, like, um, but I'm going to give it to him because I want to get him some recognition for the excellent season he's having and the progress that he's made. And so Dylan Coleman went two innings this week with two strikeouts, zero walks, and that's a big number for him, zero walks in two outings and two and no runs allowed either. What we know about Coleman earlier in the year, big stuff, big potential for strikeouts, walks way too many guys. But I want to throw this out there. Since – well, first off, overall for the year, he's actually – his overall numbers is very good. He's got a two-and-a-half ERA, which is incredible for a reliever. Um, yeah, he's just doing really well overall. But his fielding independent pitching numbers, his expected ERA is actually much higher than that. And that's in large part because he walks so many people, right? And so – but – since July 15th to now, he's got a 277 fielding independent pitching, and he's only walking 2.7 batters per nine. That's really good. If he can keep that up, if he can keep up only walking under three guys per nine and striking out more than nine or 10 guys uh, per nine, he's going to be the reliever we all thought he could be. A really potential back end of the rota- or of the bullpen kind of a guy. You know, Maybe he never reaches the height of a Wade Davis in his prime. That's sort of like, you know, elite, 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 uh, bullpen arm, but he'll be a Scott Barlow type at the very least. I think, um, a
0: Herrera when he was doing, really or Herrera well. when he was doing yeah. really
1: well, you know, like he has that kind of upside if he just doesn't walk people. And since July 15th, he's really gotten his walk numbers under control. And so I want to give him our, our weekly performance, strong performer, but it's also a recognition of how well he's been doing for the last few months. And that's a really good thing to see if you're the Royals, it's like whew, we need some bullpen pieces going in next year. We can at least say that Coleman is going to have one of them, right? Like, well, and Barlow's coming up on his last year, right? I think he's got two more years actually. Does he? Okay. I thought Barlow I just so. had one year left, but yeah. So next um, year yeah, and with, the year after that, and then he's done. With the inconsistency of Stalemont this
0: year and then Barlow, you like, you think you can count on him. But after that, woof, it looks hmm. pretty bad for the Royals bullpen moving forward. So he, he will be a guy that they need to lean on next year. Uh, either way, and so hopefully he can stay healthy
1: to end this year and continue that strong performance and cutting down those walk numbers. Not everybody was so awesome this week. Obviously, they lost four of of six and uh, lost two of three to the Tigers, so uh, obviously we had some weak performances. Mike, tell us about an offensive guy who you hope picks it up as we move towards the end of the year. MJ Melendez had a really rough week.
0: Uh, Three for 23 with zero extra base hits, three walks and seven Ks, and that's one thing that people have started to kind of notice. MJ Melendez hits the ball hard. He has a, a kind of an unorthodox swing, but he makes pretty solid barrel contact usually. But the deal is the extra base hit numbers haven't been as high as we probably expected after leaning minor league baseball on home runs last year. And so he is hitting from that leadoff position, but you would still expect him to drive the ball a little bit more, a few more extra base hits than what we've seen this year. We would have taken, or this week, we'd have taken any more base hits because he didn't really have very many only three singles and so uh, mj melendez hopefully he can pick it up hopefully he's not wearing down too much he has played a quite a bit for a guy that also catches so even on the because the days he's not catching he's usually playing the field somewhere so uh, hopefully he can end the year these last few weeks a little stronger than what he did this week
1: yeah, Melinda's a guy they're really counting on. I mean, he's going. they're counting on him to be the heart of their order alongside Bobby Witt Jr., Nick Prado, Vinny Pasquantino, Mike Massey. You need a deep lineup, and that means a lot of these guys have to hit, and that means a lot of these guys have to make progress offensively. And so hopefully Melinda's can get into a groove here these last few weeks, transfer that over into the 2023 season, where they're really counting on him to be a bedrock of that, of that lineup. I'm I'm talking about another guy who also needs to transition something into 2023 because right now it ain't and it's not working. And that's Daniel Lynch. He went out and put up a real stinker this week. Uh 3.2 innings pitched, ten hits, six earned runs, no walks, which was nice, but very hittable stuff in the strike zone. You had four strikeouts, but just gave up two home runs and a bunch of bunch of hard hit balls. And so That's not what you want to see for Lynch. Everyone knows that there's more in there. It's weird because every time I go on Twitter when Lynch gets hit hard, you hear the same sort of comments from people who watch a lot of Royals baseball, pay a lot of attention to baseball and that sort of thing. And it's, there's more in there. They just got to find the person who can get it out of them. They got to find the people who can work with him to maximize the potential of Daniel Lynch. You're talking about a guy who many thought coming into this year had the highest ceiling of all of those 2018 guys that they drafted, all their young pitchers save maybe Ace Lacey when people thought he might still have a high ceiling. Lynch, it's in there. We can see it. We can see the arm talent. We can see the spin. We can see all that. He's just not finding it. And so we'll talk a little bit later about like their chain, the Royals potential overhaul of the pitching development regime and the pitching coaching. Hopefully they can find somebody who can unleash everything that Lynch has to offer. I'm going to do a little foreshadowing for you here, okay, from one of the people I'm
0: going to talk about in that segment. But look at the Braves. Kyle Wright was in a similar situation. People were like, there's more in there. Spencer Strider. People were like, there's more there. And both of those guys have had, well, one of them has had a, Strider has had a, Spencer,
1: Spencer Strider a
0: historic <laughs> season, <laughs> but Kyle Wright has been contributing in a way that he never had before because of some development things that they did with him. And they were able to unlock basically a better breaking ball and get him to scrap the one that wasn't working. And, he's a better pitcher now. Like it can happen people. I know we've never seen it happen in Kansas city, yeah. but it can happen. So we'll talk a little bit more about maybe some changes that uh, can be made to help it happen. And, well, and I think was... Lynch is the biggest guy. He's the biggest oh, piece that if, mm-hmm. if probably cause he has the best, the best, most talent in his arm, but he's the biggest piece of, if we get somebody who can really develop pitching in here to work with him, he still has an extremely high ceiling.
1: Yeah, that actually jives perfectly with my theme for the week, which which was it all rides on overhauling the pitching development. We're going to talk about the uh, change in pitching coordinator that they're going to make because they already sort of let go of their pitching coordinator. Um, and so, but that's what I'm. we've been waiting for it. We've been waiting for it virtually all season. Like when are they going to start making moves to overhaul this pitching, coaching slash pitching development? so that their pitchers have a chance to get better because we see all the talent that's in there. You see all the potential and yet it never comes to fruition. So are the Royals going to be good in 2023? It all rides on the pitching development on the changing in pitching, coaching and the pitching development. Are they going to be good in 2024? Same thing. Pitching development, pitching coaching looks like the lineup is going to be at at the very least decent, right? Maybe not great, but at the very least decent and has the potential to be very good. But if it's not there for the pitching, it's all. This is all moot. We're all just having a conversation for no reason. Because if the pitching development doesn't get any better, that's it. Ball game for the Royals.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you decided to do that spotlight segment because it gives us a chance to talk about that. My theme is worn to the nub <laughs> because I just can't. Uh, I can't. I can't watch these games and go like, okay, that guy looks like he's really fresh right now when he's out on the mound we've got a lot of guys that are worn down and that scares me a little bit, mostly on the pitching side, because that's when injuries happen. You know, when guys are tired, when they're they're being asked to pitch in a fifth, sixth, seventh inning, when their body is just physically beat down from the year, that's when injuries happen. So I'm a little bit worried about that. I'm a little bit worried about how the Royals will finish the season. They are young, which is a double edged sword. Sometimes young teams, have a whole lot of energy going into that last month and they can really take off. Sometimes they're not used to playing that many innings. And so they get worn down right now. I feel like our guys are worn down because they're not used to playing this many innings or this many games in in a season. Remember, most of these guys have not played into September really. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I hope we stay healthy. It's, it's kind of like the negative side of the non-expanded rosters you know, like once they stopped going to where you could add all these September call-ups, you could give guys days off all the time. Like you could just, mm-hmm. flood, you know, hey, you, you don't want to pitch today, pitcher, because you're a little worn down or your arm's a little tired. We'll throw a guy in there. We got an extra 20 almost. And so it, it it's a little bit of that negative there. So hopefully nothing terrible happens. But, I, you know, you're getting a, a bang-up game followed by two or three that where it looks like they aren't even
1: getting out of the dugout. That's how you lose to Detroit, by the way. It's really, really, really important to us that you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps more people find the show and lets us know that we're doing something right and you want us to produce more content. Plus, Mike doesn't get his weekly allowance from his wife if he doesn't bring in the subscriber number. So help him out. She gives him the money for more subscriber numbers. He gets to go out. He gets to go buy himself a little trinket. You know, mm-hmm. if he gets that, mm-hmm. if he gets some of that allowance money, he needs it. He's like got his eye on a Nerf football, so he really needs that, that, that allowance money. Um, so help him out. Go out and subscribe, okay? Leave a review. She likes that too. Uh, it's free to do both of those things, to leave reviews, to subscribe. It doesn't take very much time, but it does us a lot of good. So please go out there, subscribe, rate, review. Make sure to follow us on all the social medias too, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We post a ton of additional analysis on on there all the time. We interact with everybody who wants to talk to us. It's a great way to build community to interact with us, so please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe, rate, and review. The Royals have already started what should be a system-wide overhaul of their pitching development and coaching. I think everyone who watches this team is in agreement (laughs) that that needs to take place. Minor League Pitching Coordinator Jason Simon Tachi was recently let go, or was let go this week, and it looks like that might be the precursor to a house cleaning when it comes to the pitching development. Mike, let me get your initial thoughts on letting Simon Tachi go first and then we'll move into a conversation about what we want from these from new hires in the pitching development.
0: Well, let me start by reiterating something I said last week. I don't think the complete overhaul is going to get to the very top. I don't think Paul Gibson, who's the complete director of pitching development, is going to get removed from that position. Uh, I, I, I just don't, he's only been there for a year and the Royals like to stick with guys for a really long time. That being said, I think this was the logical beginning of the revamp for a revamp in the pitching system, the pitching development system. If you look down at the, the development of our minor league pitchers this year, it's atrocious. It's really, really bad. I don't know if you can look at any guy really. It's It's,
1: it's like the hitters from 2019.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. It's the hitting from 2019 the year Melendez and and Prado had just made the worst, and uh Suleiman had maybe just the worst years in high A history. Um it was really really bad and this this year was that bad. We saw Asa Lacy fall off completely and may just be a bullpen guy now or is hurt again, who knows. Um I can't I can't honestly stop and say, man, this pitcher, this minor league pitcher Took a bi- a big step forward this year. Can you think of anybody? Nope, not one. the The closest you might be able to say is Mazacato has looked okay uh, down there in in uh, was it Loe? Colombia, yeah. Um, and, and at times Caderna has looked okay.
1: Caderna has looked okay, but you really can't say that we d- we don't have a baseline for them yet, and so we can't say like oh they took a big step forward. Mazacato has made some progress over the course of the last month, but. Hard to really give credit, a ton of credit there.
0: Yeah. And now juxtapose that with the hitters in the system. Can you look at any hitters and say, man, that guy took a big step forward this year? I can name like five easy, you know? (laughs) And so it's, it's like, it's time. It's really time. And uh, I think that was the first good, good thing. I'm glad they did it a little bit early because I'm hoping they have been reaching out and have some
1: ideas of what they want to do with that spot. Go down the line, right? Ace O'Lacy, Alec Marsh, Will Klein, Anthony Veneziano, Ben Hernandez. And just keep, just keep Sh- naming them. I mean, yeah. you know, Shane Panzini. Shane Panzini hasn't done real just, great. No, no, no. <laughs> Noah Murdoch has done. You can't, a, can't, no, you know, he's bad. got on Noah Cameron. Uh, you know, like well, I guess he was hurt a lot, but like a yeah, lot of guys, you know, you just can't find anybody. Zerpa took a step back, even really. I mean, Zerpa. Yeah, I know he got you some time in Major League Baseball,
0: but. He, Carlos Hernandez showed no improvement. None. Um, You
1: cannot find somebody in this minor league system who developed this year. You can't do it because they don't exist. Their command didn't get better. Their stuff didn't get better. What else is there? Like, (laughs) that's what you're supposed to be doing. And so, yeah, it's got to be a complete overhaul. And it's got to be in line. The weird thing is, is, it's not a mystery what makes a good minor league pitching development program. It just takes a lot of stuff and a lot of attention to detail and a lot of really good high communication. So you need one, somebody who understands modern data driven player development methods leading the whole show, right? Then you need a whole bunch of coaches at these different minor league affiliates who are on the exact same page as that person. Okay then you need to develop plans for helping each guy. But also you need like a systematic way of assessing how things are going so that you know if you're going in the wrong direction with a guy, you can change course, right? It's, 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 the knowledge is out there, but it does take some stuff, some time, some attention, some focus, some humility, which is I think the biggest thing the Royals lack. It takes some humility to install this sort of thing, to hire the right people and install this kind of system they have to start making that right now, or they're gonna miss this window that they're about to enter with young players like Bobby Witt Jr. and all and all them. Yeah, and this the way that you're kind of describing it is the way that the Houston Astros did it. Let's see, gosh, it would
0: have been between five and seven years ago now. Um mm-hmm. that's how behind the Royals are, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> they're five yeah, to seven time, years behind the curve. The Dodgers did it a uh, long
1: time ago, <laughs> you know. Like.
0: Um and so what the what the Astros ended up doing was they were, they hired a specific coach to go down and communicate those things from the top. The guy at the top who was their pitching coordinator at the time, I can't remember his name now, but he was saying, these are the things we're going to do with the data that we're getting. And they hired a coach and sent him to all the minor league affiliates and said, it is your job to communicate with the pitching coach to that level and get them to implement these things. Well, after a few years, they said, well, heck, you know what? We no longer need those pitching coaches basically got rid of all those pitching coaches and just replaced them with guys who uh, with a combination of those coaches, we don't need a data guy and a pitching coach to, to do this together. We'll get a pitching coach that is a data guy. And so mm-hmm. that's what they started doing. And of course they've had one of the best pitching development programs in baseball as a result. You know, I don't know if what approach the Royals need to take in doing that, but you're right. A big part of the uh, process is getting the coordinators and the people who are doing this work with the analytics, whether it's pitch data or whether it's biomechanical data, getting that then communicated at the minor league levels while working. It's great to have a place in Arizona to do it with the really young guys, but you need to be able to do it at those minor league affiliates as well. And so I don't think it's just a pick this one guy and everything will get fixed. But I do think that this is a starting point because once you fix that, you can then start to identify, okay, which one of these minor league pitch coaches are on board and can do this and which ones are not.
1: Yeah. And you, you mentioned this and I want to sort of move us into these notion of like what qualities we want to see in our, in these minor league pitching coordinators. You mentioned the biomechanical data, uh, data driven under a uh, pr- person who understands data driven player development and things like that. And I think that's so important, that's why I put it down on my list too, but I wanna emphasize that you need a great communicator and teacher as well. What we're sort of seeing as the market inefficiency or the big time you know, uh, buzzword of, uh, of of new coaching is essentially communication or teaching. That's essentially what they're talking about as the most valuable thing that is missing right now from some of these, these coaches is they're actually not great teachers of, you know, how to help a guy learn how to do a new pitch, how to help a guy learn how to change his mechanics, how to help a guy learn how he needs to use a different pitch sequencing or something like that, right? Like um, it is a learning process for young players, but it's also a learning process for old players who just need to change. And so somebody who can be an effective communicator to show them why it's necessary to change, why it's necessary to change in this way, that is what you really need. You need to combine an understanding of data-driven player development with this really ability to teach. And that's what I'm looking for when they're going after this new, you know, um, pitching coordinator is can they find somebody who understands modern pitching development and also can teach it very effectively? Let's talk about who those people might be.
0: Oh, go, Real go quick yeah, yeah. though, real quick. I think the communication thing is also extremely important because it's going to be that person's job to then go out and communicate with the Lonnie Goldbergs on the draft side and the scouting side so that they can pick up and say, okay, this is the type of player you need to be going and looking for when we're drafting or signing internationally. And this other guy that, that that's not what we yeah. want. That is not something we can do. This is where you have to be looking for. And the teams like the Cleveland Indians, or sorry, Guardians, and the Houston Astros, especially internationally for Houston, have done a phenomenal job doing that. And I've heard a couple interviews with different guys in their programs or read them where they said, that was what really unlocked the whole thing for us. Once the scouting side and got together with this new uh, data-driven player development, that's when we really started getting guys in here that we could work
1: with. And what data-driven player development actually does is it's really, it's all about self-assessment there. It allows you to better understand in large part what you do well. Like, do we, do we shape pitches well? If we shape pitches well, then we can just go out and draft arm talent, projectability, and that sort of thing. Do we teach command really well? Then we can go do this. Do we teach, you know, uh, are we sinker slider? We do we velocity? have guys who can do things? Yeah. Do we add velocity? All these sorts of things. You want You start to understand what you do better. And so you can understand what types of players you need to be targeting better. Right. Does that make sense? I think it does. I think, I think that's where everyone who is doing this at the highest level has moved. And that's where the Royals ultimately will need to move. Eventually Mike, tell us about a couple guys you think might be able to do that for the Royals moving forward. I know there we've gone out and done some research. You've done quite a bit of research on pitching development programs. Tell us some guys you think they might be able to go after who could be their new pitching coordinators. Yeah. And
0: for those people who don't, uh, who don't follow this stuff quite as closely, let me just kind of break down who the best uh, franchises in the league are at doing this. You're talking about the Dodgers, the Rays, the Braves, the Astros and the Yankees. Those are kind of the top five overall. Hey, the past five to 10 years have been the best at drafting and developing pitching. So when you look at their rotations and their bullpens, a lot of the guys are either homegrown guys or, they traded for them when they were in the minor league still and developed something about them uh, to make them uh, work for their team. So the guys that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about two guys who are pretty similar. And I think actually uh, not knowing who you had picked, you actually picked a guy that was very similar to one of my guys as well. (laughs) Um, but Ian Walsh, Walsh, sorry, or Kyle, I think it's pronounced Bodie. Um, both of these guys are driveline guys. And if you don't know what driveline is, it's a private company that works with pitchers to develop as and a pitchers and hitters. Yes. And hitters. Sorry. Forgot, they also work with hitters. Um, I'll start with Walsh. Walsh is a guy that Ian Walsh is a guy that is currently the pitching development assistant for the Dodgers. Um, and he's just been in that role for, I think this was just his second year in that role. So, uh, but he's, he's a guy that comes from driveline. So it's very data driven. That's the kind of guy I would like as a minor league pitching coordinator. Kyle uh, Bodie is another guy that's from he's, he's the founder of driveline. So um, but he has experience in a major league organization. He was the Reds minor league pitching coordinator for two years uh, when they were developing Hunter Green and some of the guys that are in their current uh, major league rotation. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if he would be a kind of guy that would be even interested since he's done it in the past and seemingly chose to get out of major league baseball. But if he was interested, then that would be an avenue that you could go or again, Ian Walsh. Now, Kyle, Kyle Bodie, I've heard him do interviews. He did one with Royals farm report. That was really good. Um, this guy, you want to talk details. This guy is crazy into detail oriented pitching development. So Uh, He talked a lot about in the interview with Royals farm about that communication stuff that you were just talking about. And uh, so it would be, I would be very interested in getting either one of those guys, but I think if you get an Ian Walsh or or especially an Ian Walsh, who's seen it done in the Dodgers organization and done right, then I think you're going to get a guy. Now that would be a promotion for Ian Walsh, but it would also be a move from the most prestigious and well-funded organization in baseball. So don't know if you could get either one of these guys, but that's the kind of
1: guy I'm looking for. Yeah. And the guy, kind of guy I'm looking for is roughly the exact same guy. So I'm talking about a guy who also a pitching development coach for the Dodgers, also formerly a driveline guy. Uh, you'll notice that the Dodgers hire a ton of driveline guys, and that's not an accident or a coincidence.
0: Yeah. And actually the guy who is currently there, I think he's now there like overall pitching coordinator is a driveline guy as well.
1: Yeah. So, it's not a coincidence that they do it that way. Um, driveline sends a lot of guys to organizations to help with their hitting and pitching development. And that's because they do a really good job. <laughs> and so they have a great reputation. The guy I've, I'm, I've chosen is a guy named Sean uh, Coin. I guess it's pronounced Coin. It's C-O-Y-N-E. Um, he's a Dodgers uh, Arizona pitching development uh, guy. So that's where he sort of hangs out and helps their Arizona system development and pitching there. Um, I think getting someone like him, yes, it's a it's a step up. He's only been working with the Dodgers for a couple of years. Um, but honestly, I'm interested in getting someone young. I'm interested in getting the sort of cutting edge of what's being done by the best organizations in pitching development. And I think that could do a whole lot of good. And so get somebody who's down in the ranks of the Dodgers or the Braves, the Yankees. You're going to be getting a very similar type of guy, and that's fine, Right. Um, and so, yeah, I'd be fine with somebody like that. I'd be fine with either of your pick. I think it's a no way on earth that somebody like uh, Kyle Bodie comes to uh, coach for the Royals or be employed by the Royals. Um, but we'll yeah. see. Uh, there are he those. He doesn't have
0: the, the highest praises mm-hmm. for the organization. So. I don't think he loves. Um, uh,
1: I don't think that I do not think that Kyle Bodie wants to work for Dayton more. I'll just say that. No. Um, but
0: but one know, quick thing, know. though, the thing that the thing that I think is a nice thread through all of this is. Those drive line guys, I like them the idea of them coming in as minor league pitching coordinators because at drive line they've been working with a range of athletes on an individual one-on-one teaching mm-hmm. and that is so important when it comes to the teaching and development stuff so that you can sit down, develop plans for guys, execute those plans, all that sort of stuff. If you go out and you get a guy who's like, "Oh, well I've been in major league baseball for 15 years and I've been a I don't know, minor league pitching coach or whatever, well, then you have somebody who's been only with adult professional pitchers who are either already developed or already have been developed in some way. I don't want that. I want a guy who's worked with high school guys and who's worked with, you know, major league guys, Mm -hmm. because that's what you're going to get. So, Mm
1: -hmm. you know,
0: so I, I
1: prefer a, a guy like that. I think the teaching element will be a little bit better with a guy like that. It's also important to point out that we've pointed to a lot of people who are in the Dodgers organization, and guess what? That worked out for their hitting coordinating side. Drew Saylor came from the Dodgers exactly. organization. He's doing a great job for the Royals, and so you know, like, let's just double it up there. Um, anyway, uh, we also need to talk. I don't want to just talk about the minor league pitching coordinator. I think, I think the firing of Jason Simon Tachi, and I guess you don't call it a firing. They didn't renew his contract, um, but I think letting him go is like the harbinger that Cal Aldridge's days are numbered. I think when the season's over, he's gone. Um, I'm hoping. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm hoping too much. I don't know. Too optimistic, maybe. But let's talk a little bit about pitching coaching at the MLB level because I think that's a big part. Somebody who you bring in to be the pitching coordinator at the minor league level, you'll see the results of that in two or three years, right? Like you'll see the results of what they've changed down the road. You can and should expect a major league pitching coach to come in and make improvements immediately. There's this old head way of thinking. That's like, anytime you make a coaching change in baseball, it's going to take time, but we've seen that that's not necessarily the case. There are pitching coaches who have come in and had an immediate impact. Take a look down at Texas right now with, um, I forget their pitching coach's name. He's kind of a legend. I can't remember his name though. Um, (laughs) came in and just immediately turned that rotation around. Is it Maddox? No, Maddox was there for a long time. Yeah. No, it's a different guy. I forget his name though. Um, So yes, we should expect that whatever pitching coach they bring in should have an immediate impact. They should be thinking who can come in and have an immediate impact and make our major league rotation better. Mike, tell us a little bit about coaching names you like for the Royals at the major league level.
0: Well, I'm going to go with Drew French as a replacement for Kyle Eldred. He's the bull currently the bullpen coach for the Braves. He's a young guy, but he is part of the reason that they were able to turn around Kyle, Wright. And get a little bit more out of Spencer Strider this year to turn him into maybe the best pitcher in the National League. Um, And so, yeah, I, I think a guy like that who has worked with some really good, young, talented pitchers and helped get more out of them is exactly what you're looking for, because that's what you need for Daniel Lynch. That's what you need for Chris Bubich. That's what you need for John Heasley. So I, yeah. And for that matter, for uh, Brady Singer would be really nice to see a guy like Drew French get his hands on Brady Singer. So I think, and it's not like there's a, I mean, there's a great relationship between the Braves and the the Royals. You go offer Drew French the position of pitching coach. You know, if he's, he's now an assist, he's now a bullpen coach. You get to be the pitching coach. That's a step up. So maybe he takes it.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with somebody who I, almost guarantee is on no one else's list, right? Because he's super young, super young. He's younger than you and I, Mike. <laughs> um, well, we're but, not that young. <laughs> but, I mean, we're all, we're young enough to, you know, there are people in Major League Baseball still pitching way past our age. So um, That's true. this guy's only like 31 years old. And so his name is Cody Buckle. He is Cleveland's minor league pitching strategist right now. He basically develops pitching strategies, but he's done player development and things like that in the past. And what's interesting to me about him is I've sort of read stuff that he said and the way that he talks about how to help pitchers improve, he actually was a player as well. He pitched in the minor leagues for a while, maybe even made like a cup of coffee or something small major league stints. Um, But I like that. I, I think he's the type of guy who can combine biomechanical data-driven stuff on pitch pitch mixes and things like that with conversations about mechanics and throwing strikes. Plus, he comes from this Cleveland regime that very tightly fits what it seems like John Sherman is trying to build here. It seems like Sherman wants to build a similar type of thing here where the scouting department identifies pitching traits that they can target later in the draft or in cheaper signing, international signings, and then they give it over to development guys like Buckle who can get the most out of them, who focus intently on things like movement and secondary pitches and less on like fastball velocity, if that makes sense. And so I think he might be a decent fit for the Royals because for the Royals, you're going to talk about a whole bunch of pitchers at the major league level who probably don't have the types of fastballs that you would want from. Like elite guys. The Max Scherzer ain't walking through that door. Jacob DeGrom ain't walking through that door. You know, like <laughs> nobody with the Royals has that effective of a fastball except for Brady Singer and his is that two seamer, you know? And so I want to see somebody like Buckle or somebody from that Cleveland organization come in and help the Royals be good without that elite fastball, right? In the ways that they've helped, you know, Shane Bieber be great without an elite fastball, Tristan McKenzie be great without an elite fastball. And I mean, in terms of velocity, these guys have good movement on theirs, but they don't have great. Uh, velocity. And so I want to see what somebody like Buckle can do. I think he would be a decent replacement, but really all I'm talking about somebody in that mold, young, good with data driven, maybe has experience as a player, that sort of thing. Cause it's really hard to be a pitching coach in my mind. If you don't have a background playing players look at you probably a little funny.
0: Yeah. And that's the one kind of hiccup that I have here is, is a guy like that going to want to be a major league pitching coach or does he fit better in a front office kind of role well like um, i said any i mean i'd take i'd take a guy like that in a second for sure especially from that organization who it looks like the Royals at least in the drafting process may be trying to somewhat mimic and so i i would be completely okay with that no problem yeah
1: i had my reservations too until i realized oh he was a player he's been in dugouts he's you know this is this is not un uncommon for him. He's, he's very familiar in some ways, and so give him a chance. Take a look. See, we'll see, and maybe it'll just be somebody else from that Cleveland organization. I don't know. And are we
0: are we going to even touch the Brian Bannister? No, like uh, <laughs> I don't think Brian Bannister. A lot <laughs> of people clamoring. Yeah, there's a lot of people clamoring, yeah, of people clamoring well, for Brian Bannister. Go, Bannister's uh, the kind of guy
1: we might like, but he's yeah, never he's coming started, here because he's already he got a primo gig no. with the Giants. So yeah, why would we do that? Uh, the Royals hit the road this week for three games against the Minnesota Twins, and then three more against the Red Stockings of Boston, a bean town. Mike, tell us about the suddenly sinking Minnesota Twins. Well, they're
0: suddenly sinking. Yeah, all right. They were leading like, this uh, division like
1: a month and a half ago,
0: two weeks ago. <laughs> uh, they're 69 and 70, and they're now third in the AL Central behind the Guardians and the White Sox, who seem to be somewhat thriving now that Tony LaRusa is nowhere around them um he's coming Chris back Boobich, though. i don't know if he actually is okay we'll see i heard yeah he's coming back and then i saw something today that was like well maybe <laughs> like you have a heart condition and you're not very good at what you do anyway like you're not knocking the world off its feet go home <laughs> just all right but anyway okay let's okay neither here nor there.
1: let's just go Neither home. here nor
0: there. that's right yeah exactly okay grandpa cool means good okay <laughs> um Bubich versus Joe Ryan in that first game against the Twins. Joe Ryan, the 26-year-old righty, has a 4.05 ERA, a decent whip at 1.16. Not a hard thrower, Joe Ryan. Fastball averaging 92, but he's got a slider changeup and a curveball. He does have good movement with his fastball, so it doesn't get hit too hard, despite his lack of velocity. Second game will be an interesting matchup. Greinke against Sonny Gray, the 32-year-old righty with a 3.09 ERA and a 1.14 whip. I always wondered why Sonny Gray didn't stick on teams better.
1: I know. You Seems told like me that.
0: Always on other teams. You it's mentioned like, that a while guy, ago, and
1: you're like, maybe the Royals should get him this offseason. <laughs> the,
0: the guy just pitches well every year, and like every other year, he ends up on a different team. I know. Um, anyway. Uh, fastball, curveball, slider, cutter guy. Known for the slider. Um but he's actually used his curveball more. He's got a really good curveball, though. I will say that. I like his curveball a lot. And then that last game is going to be a one that I'm really looking at because Daniel Lynch is going to go again after that rough outing. So Lynch will go against Dylan Bundy, 29-year-old righty, with a 4.68 ERA and a 1.27 whip. Dylan Bundy, if I'm not mistaken, was like the number one pitching prospect in baseball at one point.
1: I think he was the number one overall pick one year.
0: Was he? He was the Orioles organization when he came up, and he came up really young. Made it to
1: the majors at like 19 or 20. That's why it seems like he's been in the league forever, because he has been, but he's only 29.
0: Yeah. Uh, His fastball is not near what it was when he first came up. It's only averaging 89 slider changeup curveball. He's not having a great year, and hasn't in a little while. I think he may have had one or two pretty solid years with the Orioles, but he's way past that. Seems like a guy who peaked pretty young, but... Um, that'll be the the twin series and then we're off to
1: to beantown yeah the red sox 69 and 72 that's good enough for last in the al east just been a pretty shambles of a year and their fan base really doesn't know how to handle it they're not good at losing in that fan base they're like i see stuff from them online all the time and the sky is falling fire everybody all this sort of stuff which you know i guess if you have standards makes sense um their offense has done pretty well this year with Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers and J.D. Martinez. They're having good years and everything. It's the pitching that's really let them down. Um, Michael Walker has been incredible this year. He's got an ERA under three, but everyone else has either been meh or really bad. So Rich Hill, for example, a, has a 4. In a fantastic division. Yeah, in a great division. That doesn't help. Like yeah. If the Boston Red Sox played in the AL Central, they'd probably be leading the AL Central right now. But the fact that they play in the East means they've played Toronto and Baltimore and New York and, you know, all the good teams. (laughs) The Rays. And the Rays. Yeah, that was the other one. Um, So, yeah, their starting pitching has been really bad, and that has really hurt them, especially the back half of their rotation. Just really struggling. Um, So hopefully we can catch a couple bad starters for them and just uh, light them up a little bit. Although, who knows? If Rich Hill pitches against us, I guarantee he does well. I don't know what it is, but I just guarantee he does well. We'll end this week's episode like we end every episode with our Just a Bit Outside segment where we talk about something that's caught our attention outside the world of baseball. Mike, you do not interest me at all, but perhaps you have (laughs) done something or thought about something that is interesting in the last week.
0: Go. Okay. First off, I just want to let all of our listeners know I was pretty interesting yesterday when I drained a 15-foot putt to win a match. <laughs> How are you going to bring this up?
1: That's all we right? talked about yesterday was this putty made,
0: right? And that's now in the rain. Up day two. Just day two. nails. Boom. Day two. Wins the this, match of this uh, okay? story. i bring that up the rest of my life, okay? Uh, no, the, the thing I'm interested in is a new TV show that I found. It's called Sprung. It, I found it on Freevie, which is like a really crappy, it sucks. It's a really <laughs> crappy uh, streaming service. Uh, that's like free. So that's probably why it was on there. I'm sure it's on somewhere else too. I just haven't found it uh, another place, but I, as far as I know, there's only one season of it so far. I think they're coming out with new episodes all the time, but it's the dude and the lady that were in. Um, I think it's called raising hope might've been another comedy. If I'm not mistaken, you wouldn't realize the guy, He, he plays, uh, he's in, in Brooklyn nine, nine, he plays the detective that takes Jake to the speakeasy. Oh yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So really that know. guy hilarious. And the, the other people in there are just really funny. It's, it's a funny show. And it's also like, um, topical in a sense, it's about these two people who are let out of prison because of COVID-19 and like overcrowding in prisons. They're like, Oh, the governor's decided to let people out of nonviolent offenders out because of the COVID pandemic. And one of them's a guy that's been in prison for 26 years for dealing marijuana. The other is a lady who's been, in prison for like uh, identity theft, and then the guy's cellmate, who'd been in prison for marijuana, is also getting out, and they all go to live with the cellmate's mom, and the cellmate's mom is just hilarious. Uh, she is just a character. So if you get a chance, try and find it somewhere besides Freevee, <laughs> but go check out the show Sprung. It's it's pretty good.
1: I've been enjoying it. Okay, my just a bit outside will be a significantly more serious. Okay. It's also funny in some ways. Like, so one thing that bothers me is this happens a lot around football time, but I'm actually thinking about it in terms of, uh, coverage of the Ukraine war. Um, it really, really bothers me when we fall for people who are like tough talking and we talk, we were like, Oh, this dude's clearly tough. And it's like, no, no, like people who are tough don't talk about how tough they are. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, <and yet> somehow <laughs> around these like masculine moments of like, you know, ultimate fighting or, you know, like um football and stuff like that. Anybody who like, you know, the hype train gets going and it's like, oh, this guy's like he's, he's out here saying he's the greatest. He's out here being it's like yeah, people who are don't actually talk about it, you know, like, and the reason I thought about it in terms of the Ukraine war is I've been following the, the counter-offensive that Ukraine I, yesterday. I just read all about it. I read many, many articles about this counter-offensive that Ukraine is, is um, undertaking against uh, Russia at this point. And somebody retweeted a, a tweet from the beginning of the war where somebody was like, you know, um, juxtaposing uh, Russian military recruitment videos with American military recruitment videos. They were like, "Oh, look, Russia does all this tough talking in their videos. We're over here, you know, you know, talking about education or something. ours, we look weak or whatever. That, that's why they're so much stronger than we are, and we're so much weaker than they are." It was a very weird concept. And I'm like, "You're buying their like <laughs> their <laughs> tough talk. <laughs> why are you buying their tough? It takes nothing to say I'm tough. Like it takes nothing. Like why do we buy it?" so much. Why do we buy it so frequently when people do that? Now, obviously, you know, all these people who are like professors and, you know, like grocery store clerks or whatever who, you know, took up arms for Ukraine, they're beating the shit out of Russia back all the way back to, you know, <laughs> Moscow now yeah. and it's like, "Oh, look at how tough. They can't even get anybody to join this goddamn army." Like, I don't I don't get it. What was the tough talk? What was the tough talk? People of Twitter and the rest of the internet. People who talk tough are not tough. Use that as a general rule, right? Like, <laughs> if you say you're tough, you're not. Okay, that's just a general rule I follow. So, please, it bothers me when I see so many people taken in by this weird form of propaganda. Yeah, it, it it's it's
0: particularly a problem in in the football community. Um, mm. It happens a lot, and so yeah, I just it, it's something I've learned to quite ignore. So, like, I just you know, if you're talking. Tough and, and in a public sphere, I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't, I don't care what you say about anything.
1: So <laughs> we're just, we're, we're not good at ignoring people though. We're just, yeah. we're not very good at it, especially people who say things that are so obviously outrageous and false, you know, like we're mm-hmm. not good at just letting them go. We got to get better at just letting them go, you know, like, because... I'm tired of hearing other people be like, did you hear what this guy said? I don't give a shit what this guy said. Like, (laughs) you know, tough people don't talk about how tough they are. They just go out and they just beat, they just go out and farm for 14 hours a day. You know, like that's all they do. You know, like they go out and they just, you know, plow the dirt or something. I don't know. They just, we don't know because Mark and I aren't tough
0: tough guys, but if we were, I'm not tough.
1: We'd be out in the field farming for 14 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, doing other things. I consider other things very tough. Like, people who have to like focus on one thing for hours and hours and hours. I consider that very difficult. And you know, so it seems there, tough I think there's for a me mental toughness, you know, that working in e,
0: it, like a 12 hour ER shift as a nurse. That seems super yeah, that tough seems to me.
1: really tough. Like, like they're I tough. I could not, you know, especially cause they're still wearing like a lot of the PPE stuff. And I'm like, dang, some dude who just shoots a video of himself working out. That is not tough in my mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> it doesn't take anything to do that. It's just your free time. You're just working out. Like, I don't care. Like, Um, so yeah, knock it off with the tough talk and really knock it off with believing it because it's (laughs) embarrassing for you. Okay. Um, what wouldn't be embarrassing is if you subscribed, rate and reviewed us, that would be, that would be awesome. People, people will come out into the streets to cheer you if you subscribe, (laughs) rate and review us. So please do that. We'll be back again next week to talk more Royals until then be good to each and go Royals.